this is a simple reminder sermon. For at least a lot of us, it will be a simple reminder sermon. Uh, for some of us, maybe it will be new. Either way, I believe it's something that we in this church and in this culture really need to hear. It's about our singular focus in life. Being singularly focused in life. It's a reminder to do, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. He says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious, he says, about tomorrow. you got enough trouble one day at a time. That's what he says. Take it one day at a time. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. But above all else, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The way of illustrating this, uh, I want to read from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 10. And this is the wonderful story about Martha and Mary, starting in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered, Jesus entered a certain village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had her sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? You've got to hear it in a different voice. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't that calm. Lord, don't you care that my sister not even helping me? It's more like that. Then tell her to help me. I need some help here. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray, God, that your anointing would really fall on us here as the word goes forth, just as your anointing was here when we were worshiping you, Lord. I thank you that your presence is here. Lord, I, I know this, that you could care less about the number of people uh, who are gathered together. Uh, you're there. You are there. And your heart is towards them when they are open to you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd see the hunger on our hearts here tonight and flood it as you did with worship. Flood it now with your word and let your word come alive. Let it be life and sustenance to us, Lord. Let it, Lord God, be sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord God, let it uh, help us to, to discern the areas of our life that are not in congruity with you, Lord God. Lord, uh, we together, Lord, pray that you, that, that you would help us receive conviction when conviction is necessary, God. Because we're all on the way. And uh, you don't want us to settle for second best when you want us to be Christ-like. So, Lord God, let your word have conviction. Let it have power. Let it be encouraging. Let it be enlightening. All of that, Lord God, is not something that I can do. It is, Lord, the work of your Spirit using whatever I do. So have your way, Lord, and be blessed as we get blessed in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We, uh, a lot of times, I at least a lot of times, like to poke fun at Martha. Because uh, Martha is very vulnerable to poking fun at. Um, she's just so uh, honest and out there and real. 
Um, we can appreciate, I think, can't we, Martha's predicament. Have you ever had someone just stop in uh, at your house unexpectedly? And that's what Jesus did. He's passing by and said, hey, I think I'll just uh, stop in here and pay these people a visit. And uh, some of you know what it's like. Some of you don't care. And I'm kind of like that. I, I, I basically, my house is my house. Take it or leave it. Shelly is not of that persuasion, however. Um, and what happens, and I've learned from her, uh, for, you know, what, what I'm supposed to notice uh, when someone shows up at the door unexpectedly. All of a sudden, especially if it's an important person, like God, for example, that, that would that'd probably... Here's the Son of God. And, and uh, uh, I wasn't ready. And all of a sudden you notice that your house is a pit. Uh, you didn't notice that before. You know? and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, look at this. Um, you, and you maybe try to, you know, as you're saying hi to them, you try to you know, throw the underwear behind the, uh, the, the, the couch and take the dirty dishes off the table and throw the rotten ham that's been sitting on the counter for two weeks out into the garbage. And Sorry. Uh, and uh, I don't know what your house is like, you know, but you... Or at least you keep them away from the messy rooms, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's steer them this way. You kind of sometimes can freak out when somebody shows up and it wasn't announced. And I can easily imagine Martha. Here's Martha. Uh, we don't know how much she knew about Jesus Christ or whatever, but there's some sort of relationship there and Jesus' reputation preceded him. And he shows up at the door. And so Martha does... Uh, what I think a lot of people would do, she just sort of freaks out. In the first century, it was really, really important. They, they, they put a lot of emphasis on hospitality. Uh, you, you really had to treat people right. There were certain societal rules about uh, how to behave when a certain person, especially any kind of dignitary, came into your house. So Martha, instinctively, as a, as a matter of almost social conditioning, is now going to worry about waiting on Jesus just right, making sure he gets some freshly baked cookies and the milk and, and cleaning up and there's a place to sit and whatever. Martha is the one who's breaking the rules here. Because Martha just sits down at the feet of Jesus and decides to listen. So Martha, understandably, is irate at her sister Mary. She's doing all the work that's expected of a woman in the first century about propriety and hospitality and whatnot. She's doing it all, and so she wants a hand. It's easy to poke fun at that, but the reality is we can not only understand easily Martha's situation, but I believe that it applies in a lot of areas of our life. I'm going to submit to you tonight that we, especially here in the Western world, have a lot of distractions. We've got, I believe, a Martha kind of spirit that we struggle against. And what I want to do is turn the light on on that and look at just how distracted we are. I believe that we are in a culture, I'm sure all cultures have some of this and it takes different forms, but our culture in particular, I believe, is systematically designed, not by God, for distraction. We are bombarded with so many things. All of them vying for some of our attention. This is important. You've got to do this. You better do this. This is necessary. Society expects this of you, etc., etc., etc. Bombarded with it, and to a large degree, I believe that we, yes, we Christians, are indoctrinated, brainwashed into going along with that. It's fitting into society, doing the rules, and the result is that we're distracted. We have trouble sometimes sitting at the feet of Jesus, finding time, 
for the kingdom of God's stuff. In other words, we have difficulty seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, at least in the sense that Jesus intends it. One of the things I believe that so distracts us, one of the evidences that we're so brainwashed is, uh, I believe, the commercials, the, the multitude of commercials that, that we're bombarded with. I'm reading a book now with our, our small group. We're studying Ron Sider's Rich Christians in a World of Hunger, or in the Age of Hunger. How many of you have read that book? A couple of you have. Is not that a fantastic book? I read it 20 years ago, and now I'm rereading it. It's been updated, and it is just a kicking book. I would recommend it. Uh, but be prepared. You will not be the same when you put that book down. We're studying this book, and he, he gives some statistics that he's pushing in a different direction, but they apply to the message that I'm giving here tonight. Do you know, did you know that the average American, by the time they are 70, will have watched one and a half million commercials that will occupy approximately one and a half years of their life? One and a half years of their life just spent getting talked to about a product. Some of these products, you know, there's a message to all these products, and the message is you need to get what I got. You need this. Seek me first. No, seek me first. There's lies all over the place. One commercial refers to man's passionate need for beauty and luxury. Think about that. This product, folks, will fulfill your passionate need for beauty and luxury. You've got 40,000 kids that are going to starve to death today, but you need passion and luxury. Think about it. This one advertisement talks about a next... It's like having a friend who's always with you. Yeah. Hi there, Ring. Hi. I'm so lonely, but at least I have you to comfort me. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me that if you need a rock for a friend, you are really in a bad place. But people are in a bad place. Everyone needs friends, and there's loneliness that they struggle with. So here, the propaganda machine says, hey, this piece of jewelry will do it. I mean, this is a friend who will always be with you. This jewelry, this necklace, it's not like your friends. and It's not like your husband that left you. And it, this will always be with you. Oh, how sweet. Not really good conversationalist, but it's really nice to look at. One commercial, a bank commercial asked this question, who's going to love you when you're old and gray? Put away a little love for the future. Okay, in their bank. And the message is that, of course, no one's going to love you when you're old and gray, so you better have some money. (laughs) I ain't got nobody, but at least I'm rich. And the the message there is that, you know, um, uh, love is found in money. And so on and so on. You know the commercials. They just come to my mind. You know, with Alexis' car, if I could get Alexis' car, I could get a little respect. Do you know that? That's what I'm told. Uh, I could really drive, you know, I I can get some respect. Automatically, you drive that car, boom, it's right there. If you uh, really want one, one commercial, I, I haven't seen this for a while, but it was a Clairol hair conditioner commercial. And uh, it went, with Clairol hair conditioner, uh, you can begin, as this girl, you know, the, the thing, you know, probably shouldn't get whiplash. Uh, with Clairol hair conditioner, you can even, you can begin to like yourself, maybe even love. You see? And I'm watching this with my little 10-year-old girl who is obsessing about her hair. Uh, that has got to look just like everybody else's hair. And bam, it's in there. Oh, this is how you get self-love. This is how you begin to like yourself. This is it. This is, you know, you see the lie involved in this. But we are bombarded with this. We're saturated with it day and night. It's all over the place. One New York Times ad said this. Now, as always, profit and growth stem directly from the ability of salesmen to create desire. 
See, that's what it's about. You create desire. People wouldn't think that they need this unless you told it to them. If you want them, this is how capitalism runs, folks. It works very, very well in a fallen world. We'll go with it. But we've got to know the trigger points. We've got to know the pitfalls. We've got to know the shortcomings of this. Do you know that, that the Reformation Christians were really, really worried about capitalism because it makes a virtue out of a vice. It puts greed as sort of a carrot at the end of a stick. And the only way it operates, and it operates very well because of this, it operates by cultivating greed. Cultivating an insatiable sense of want. You've got to create desire, and once you fulfill that desire, you've got to create more desire. We've got to look at it for what it is. It is, in essence, simply a replication of what went on in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. What did the enemy do? What did Satan do to Eve? He created a desire there. Created a desire. You think you're okay the way you are? You satisfied with this operation? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, look at that tree over there. Just look at it. It is good to make you wise. Uh, and, and honey... You haven't uh, begun to actualize your full inner potentiality. You haven't begun to soar with all that you can. You haven't begun to realize the full person that you are. You have not begun to be woman, hear me, world, until you eat of this tree. This is it, and it's on sale today, and you can charge it. See, there it is, right there. And she starts looking at that thing, and it's like, boom, a desire is created there, you see? It's like, oh, you know, I think I really do need that. I could really benefit from that. That really does look tasty. You know, I think I've got to get that. I've got to get that. I've got to get that. I'm going to get that. i got it. You see, that's how it works. You create the desire there. And we are systematically bombarded with these sorts of messages. You're not okay the way you are. There's, your life's not okay the way it is. You need more. You've got to get more. You've got to acquire more things. You've got to look a little bit different. $500 billion a year are spent on commercials. And I'm not just preaching against commercials here, folks. I'm just using this as an illustration of what I am preaching on. $500 billion. That's more than we spend on higher education. That's more than most countries on the planet spend at all. That's more than their gross national product. We spend that on advertising. Systematically getting into the brains of people to create desire. If you understand this, you'll understand why. Americans are perpetually dissatisfied. Perpetually dissatisfied. According to Ron Sider, as of 1996, the average American lives 160 times better than the poorest 20% of people on the planet. But we're not happy. We want more. It's just not fair, is it? We consume, we, uh, with other European countries, consume 85% of the world's resources. 85% of the world's resources are consumed by the top 10% of the people on the planet. And we think we need more! To give you a picture of this whole thing, think of it this way. If you're in a room with 100 people, this is pretty accurate. You're in a room with 100 people, you got one pie. It's a big pie. You could feed everybody there, and everybody's hungry. What would you think if two people ate 85% of the pie and left 15% for the other 98 people? Think about that. And then what would you think if after they got done eating 85% of the people... <laughs> that solved the problem, I suppose. And they got done eating 85% of this pie, and they started whining. Oh, we wanted more pie. We need more pie. We need a different kind of pie. You know, what would you think about that? And then what would you think if on top of all this, one of the two people started preaching a gospel about how 
riches do not satisfy the soul, pies do not satisfy the hunger, and it was a gospel of sharing and giving and expressing love to one another, and he just ate 85% of the pie. That is the situation of the church in America. The more we get, the more we think we need to get. That is not rational. It does not make sense. It's contrary to everything that we believe. But as a matter of fact, it pretty accurately describes the situation of the church in America. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. A mass of deception is going on here. They're brainwashed. People are just on autopilot thinking they need more and more things. The evidence suggests, Ron Sider shows us, that the more we get, the more we think we need to get. In 1960, the gulf between the lowest 20% and the highest 20% was only 60 times. The richest uh, lived 60 times better than the poor. America lived 60 times better than the poorest 20%, and we gave away about 3% of our gross national product to helping developing countries. As of 1996, the gulf has now uh, gone from, uh, uh, what did I say, uh, was... 60% to 160%, as I said earlier. And in 1996, we gave away less than 1% of our gross national product to developing countries. In fact, we gave less than half of a percent to, uh, to developing countries. In fact, we gave less than two-tenths of 1% to developing countries. The more we get, the more we keep, the more we think we need. What's going on here? It's mass indoctrination. Newsweek did a report where uh, it's called the middle class poor. Whereas in today's standards, the average person who makes 55, a majority of people who make $55,000 a year for a family of four believe that they're on the edge of poverty. 1995, a congressman uh, on National Public Radio said this. He, he was talking about his income of $163,000 a year. And he, told, and he said on National Public Radio that this uh, puts him uh, in the lower middle class. Okay. I gotta find that lower middle class. <laughs> you see, the, the deception is like this. Uh, it, when, when you get this thing going in your brain, this is this is what what keeps their culture going. It's what keeps the economy going. And you don't have to worry about hurting the economy by getting out of this rat race, folks. There's plenty of other people who will pick up the slack. Um, but but when, when you're brainwashed with this sort of mentality, no matter what you get, you always feel like you're just on the edge of, of, of starvation or that there's always more that you can get and more that you deserve and more that you want and more that you need. The Bible has a really good, really simple and very radical solution to this whole thing. It basically says this, call it for what it is. It's demonic and crucified. Amen? Call it for what it is. It's demonic. It's, it's part of a demonic lie. I'm not saying that the things are demonic. I'm saying the message that gets us to get the things is demonic. We're to tag it for what it is. It's a lie. And to crucify it. Crucify the flesh, which keeps on hungering after those things. Folks, it's a lie. Amen? There's no truth to it. The reality is this. You don't need Clairol hair conditioner to feel good about yourself. Amen? You don't need a Lexus car to get respect. It just ain't true. You don't need the bigger house to feel good about yourself or feel like you're arriving. You don't need a lot of money to feel like you're being loved. And you certainly don't need a rock to feel like you got a best friend. The reality of the situation is this. Not only is it a lie that those things can deliver those things, but it's, it, the lie, the, the truth is that those things distract you from the one thing that will deliver that. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no happiness. There's no joy. Amen? No happiness, no joy, no fulfillment found in the acquisition of things. We keep thinking that. It's not true. It's not to be found there. There's no fulfillment in it. The one thing 
The one thing, hear it now, Holy Spirit, ignite this now. I don't care if we've heard it a thousand times before. Help us to hear it for the first time here tonight. Amen. The one thing that is needful, the one thing you've got to have, if you're going to find the joy that you're looking for, the peace that you're looking for, the happiness that you're looking for, the significance that you're looking for, the one thing that is needful is the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. See, we're created. We are created. This is legitimate. We're created, with, we're created needy. We need, all of us need love. All of us need significance. All of us need to feel like we're important to somebody. All of us are created to have joy. It's true. That is, God, God wants to pour himself into us, and so he creates us with these needs. And that, that is like a honing mechanism. It's like a honing mechanism. If you follow your heart, you know, if you follow your heart and, and, and ask, how can I get this need met? It will, it's meant to lead you to the person of Jesus Christ. What the devil does is this. He takes that honing mechanism. I'm picturing kind of a beep, beep, beep kind of thing, you know. I've got to get this need met. And what he does is he says, oh, this will do it. Boom, this will do it. And then after a while, that doesn't do it. So then it's like, oh, well, the, this will do it. It's like, it's like, it's like ducks. You know, they, they tell me, I don't know a thing about ducks. Does anyone here know a thing about ducks? Good. And I can lie to you and you won't know the difference. But I'm told that when ducks, I saw that movie, uh, Fly Home or whatever it's called, and, and, or geese, geese, whatever they see, they think it's his mother. Is that true? Okay, they got a homing, me- homing mechanism. Is it called a homing mechanism or a honing mechanism? Homing. I, I think it's because it's about home, right? Who knows? But, but I don't know anything about geese and I don't know anything about homing mechanisms, but you'll get the point anyways. See, they, whatever they see, they think is, 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 is its mother. And so they'll follow it. They'll just follow it. Because they think, uh, you know, they have a, a mechanism that says, need mother. So they go after the mother. And what the devil does, it's like he, tie, he taps in. And the whole system that we're a part of taps into that honing mechanism and, and says, this will meet it, this will meet it, seek this first. And this will meet it, seek this first. Oh, you're not satisfied yet? Well, if you just got a bigger one of those, it would meet that need. If you got more of those, it would meet the need. If you just did this to your hair, it would meet the need. You know, if, if you just expanded here, got this, blah, 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 and it never, it never, it never, ever delivers. But the promise that it will deliver, it keeps on coming. So you eat and you eat and you're hungry and you're hungry and the Bible calls it all a lie. It says to crucify it and it's a distraction. The truth of the matter is this. The one thing that will, the one thing, the one person that will meet that need for significance is Jesus Christ. Amen. The one thing that will meet the need for joy is Jesus Christ. The one person who can meet the need for love is Jesus Christ. Amen. The one person, the, one, the only thing that is going to make your life worth living is the person of Jesus Christ. Cars ain't going to do it. House ain't going to do it. Clothes ain't going to do it. It's, it's the person of Jesus Christ. The one thing that's worth living for is Jesus Christ. The one thing that satisfies the soul is Jesus Christ. The one thing worth getting up out of bed in the morning for is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The one person that it's all about when all is said and done, the one thing that is needful is the thing that Mary found, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And from a biblical perspective, anything else that claims to do that, that vies for your attention to do that, that gets you to seek after those things to do that, it's called a distraction. And it takes away from the one thing that is needful. How do we get free? Because you can say, oh, you shouldn't be so concerned with these things, and maybe for a week or two you won't be so concerned about these things. But you know what? When you're in this kind of a culture, it just impresses itself on you, you're brainwashed, and you fall back into it. You ever ask yourself the question, why did I buy that? Why do we get that? What were we thinking? Well, the truth is you probably weren't thinking. Uh, you were on autopilot, you see, and, and the system is designed to do that. How do we wake up? Consider this. 
See, as long as the need is there because you've got a, 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 some kind of criteria in your head that's saying that the need is supposed to be there. This is the need because you've got to get this done. And the criteria is there because of some goal that is there in your life. Goals lead to the criteria that define what is a need, you see. And as long as the goal is there, the criteria will be there. And as long as the criteria is there, you'll feel like you need it. What needs to happen is we need to fundamentally reorientate our, the goals in our life. Let me give an illustration of this. I had a student uh, some years ago, I'll call her Becky. And Becky, uh, just before an apologetics uh, exam, uh, a course I teach at Bethel, um, she was a smart student, a nice student, just, you know, had a lot on the ball, but I noticed she started to freak out. I mean, really freak out. Uh, three phone calls at home uh, is freaking out. Uh, they're not supposed to call me at home, but, you know, boom. And she, I could tell, she shows up at my office all the time, she's freaking out. She's trying to find out what's on the test, you know, she's trying to, like, trick me into giving, disclosing information. I mean, she's driving me nuts. I wanted to flunk her just to, you know, get her away. I finally asked her this question. I said, you know, Becky, tell me, what, what, why are you, I think you're going to do pretty good in this class. I mean, it seems to me that you're going to get at least a B, you know, and, and maybe even an A. What are you still worried about? And she says, I need to get an A. And I said, need? Why do you need to get an A? She says, well, because I need to keep a 4.0 uh, grade point average going. And so you need to get a 4.0 grade point average. When you graduate? She goes, yes. Why do you need to graduate with a 4.0? Well, I need to get into the... See, there's a criteria going on here. And I'm just trying to get to the criteria so I can find what the ultimate goal is. Because that's driving the whole thing. Why do you think you need to uh, get a 4.0, graduate with it? She says, so I can get into the graduate school that I want to get into. I want to get into Harvard. Well, that's very laudable, but I bet even if you got to be in my class, you'd still have a good shot at Harvard. But why do you need to get into Harvard? You know, why not shoot higher and go to Yale? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Um, um, you know, but would it be so bad to go to this school or that school where you don't have to have a 4.0 or a 3.9? What would happen if that, didn't, if that didn't occur? She said, well, if I don't get into the school that I want, I'm not going to be able to get the job that I want. I need to get this job. And I asked her the question, you need to get the job? Why do you need to get that job? See, this is, see the chain here? This is what's causing her a nervous breakdown here. And it wasn't only my class that this happened. Folks. I mean, it happened quite frequently, she told me. Why do you need to get this job? Would life come to an end if uh, you got a little bit lesser of a job or if it made a little bit less money or if you weren't doing quite exactly what you wanted to do? What would be wrong with getting a lesser job? And her answer was, well, two things. My parents wouldn't be proud of me and um, I wouldn't be able to live the, the, the good life. I wouldn't be able to live the good life. And what I told Becky there is what I'm telling you here. So Becky... You don't need to live the good life. And you don't need your parents to be proud of you. Now, I don't know if they, in fact, would have been ashamed of her if she hadn't gotten that, but that was her perception. You don't need what you think you need. The one thing you need, Becky, is the thing that the Bible gives you to search after and seek after, and that is simply this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You know, you might get those things, but from a biblical point of view, you should get them as an added unto, not as a seek ye first. You see the difference? There's nothing wrong with wanting to go to Harvard. There's, wrong, there's something wrong with seeking first to go to Harvard. You seek first to go to Harvard, or you seek first anything in life. You seek first the, the, the good American dream. If that's the goal of your life, then even if you get it, you're not going to get it. 
But if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, even if you don't got it, you already got it. You finally, you see what I'm saying here? The reality of the situation, praise God, is that the Bible says, you want to live the good life, the good life is found by not seeking after the good life. Let it be an added unto, you see. Seek first Jesus Christ and, and, and brothers and sisters, you will find the good life, praise God. That's the good life you ought to be seeking for. That's what our quest ought to be. Everything else is an added unto. Jesus put it like this. Jesus put it like this. If you seek to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. Praise God. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you've got everything you were searching for in the first place. So everything else is an added unto. It's kind of superfluous. If it's there, great. If it's not there, you can live without it. It doesn't affect your significance. It doesn't affect your love. It doesn't affect what life is about. This is why Paul could say, I've learned in every situation I'm in. And he was in some really interesting situations. I've learned in every situation that I'm in to be content. Why? Because he knows. He says, I search for the prize. The prize is Jesus Christ. Christians, we are called, are we not, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to know Jesus Christ, to sit at his feet, and to, and to seek to do his will in every area of our life. That's to be our life goal. That's to be the thing that drives us. We are to be disciples of Jesus Christ before we go to Harvard. Uh, we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ before we become plumbers. Disciples of Jesus Christ, that has priority over the fact that you're a president of 3M or, or a, the, a, a banker in a bank or a stockbroker in a stockbroker and, and uh, whatever else you might want to possibly be. Before you're a husband, before you're a wife, before you're a preacher, for goodness sake, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That defines you and nothing else. And when you find life in Him, life in Him, then you quit seeking those other things to give you life. They may be added unto, but you're not going to be anxious for them, nervous about them, going crazy because you might lose them, because you've got the core of your life here. Another word for everything I'm talking about here tonight is freedom. Freedom. It grieves me to see so many people just unfree. Unfree. Because they got the gotta wanna gimme, gotta get kind of thing. Gotta get it. They want me to give me the buy me's. You know, I, I, I got to get it. They are Martha's, and Martha's spirit. And, and their life is frantic. I, they're just distracted. You know, there's no freedom there. The devil will have us see, and commercials will reinforce us, that freedom is found in getting things. Freedom is found in getting things. You know, the way to get free from your bad car is to get a new car. Now you're free. The way to get free from your small house is to get a big house. Now you're free. The way to get free from looking this way is to look that way. Now you're free. The way to get free from having self uh, condemning thoughts is to get Clairol hair conditioner. Now you're free. The way to get free from being lonely is to buy a rock. Now you're free, okay? And the lie gets replicated over and over again. When the truth of the matter is, Holy Spirit, help us to hear it, that freedom is not found in things. Freedom is found from things. You see the difference? Freedom is found in being free from not wanting to need those things, not needing to have those things. That's freedom. Freedom is when I can stand up here and say to you, you know what, take whatever you want. Uh, take away the house, take away the car, take away the health even, take away my ministry. I got Jesus Christ, and you know what? I'm going to be happy with that. Now, I like the added unto's. I like the added unto's. But they've got to be added unto's. If they're seeky first, then you've got a problem. Then you are distracted. See, we've got to wake up to just how real this is to us and realize how distracted we can be. The Bible gives us some real big warnings about this. Do you remember the parable where Jesus uh, talked about the seeds that were sown? 
Uh, and, and some fell on good ground, and they, 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 they brought forth fruit. Some fell on dry ground, they dried up. Some were eaten up by the birds. And some weeds, or some seeds, Jesus says, were choked by weeds. And Jesus explains it this way. Book of Matthew. Listen to this. This is right, this is right between my eyes. Jesus says this. He's explaining this parable. He says, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word of God and the worry of the world. Gotta get, gotta, gotta want, I gotta get, okay, I gotta get. What if I don't get it at 4.0? The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. Jesus warned a lot about the danger of riches, didn't he? He warned a lot about that. It's difficult, Jesus said, for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why is it difficult? Because we have so many surrogate gods. We've got so many distractions. The deceitfulness of riches, what is it? It's everything I've been talking about tonight. The deceitfulness of riches is the promise that it gives you, that it will fulfill you, it will satisfy you, it will make your life worth living. And when you buy into that, it chokes the word. It chokes the word so it doesn't bear fruit. You ever seen a, a tree or something get choked by weeds around it or vines around it? I had a friend one time who had a, like this tree in his backyard, and he explained to me that the vines around it are, are choking it. And it, they were. They were sucking out the nutrients of the ground so this tree couldn't get fed on anything. It was literally being strangled by these vines. That is exactly what the world does to us if we're not careful about it. You got Jesus Christ, you got the Word. But all of a sudden, there's this little added unto that becomes the seeky first. And, and, and you start paying attention to that, you know, and, and then, then now you've got to update it and you've got to revise it and then you've got to fix it all the time, you know, and pretty soon all your energy and time and money is being spent in that. we all got our little different things that can lead us astray, the different distractions. We're all Marthas in different ways. But if you're not careful, what happens is this. The Word comes into your life. It's full of joy. It's full of power. It's full of passion. You're ready to go. And then you grow up. And you get the job and you get the house and you got to get the better house and the better car and the better job and you start climbing the totem pole of American success and you're getting choked, you're getting strangled. Something is sucking life out of you. It's sucking life out of you. It's sucking time out of you. It's sucking passion out of you. It's sucking joy out of you. And you know what it is? It's the very thing that's promising you joy and peace and passion and all the rest. That's exactly like the devil. Here, this will make you happy. Boom, that's the one thing that keeps you from being happy. It's the riches of the world coming in and strangling us and choking us. Christians, we've got to examine our life here, okay? Let's examine our life. Where are you at? Where, where am I at? Christians who find that, you know, they just never really have time. There's just not enough time. So many things to do. There's no time to really pray. Just don't have time to really pray. You're getting choked. Something's choking you. Wake up to it. You're getting choked. Ask yourself, what are you living for? What's the goal of your life? What is the criteria that's driving you to go in this direction? Something's choking you don't really have time to spend in the Word. You know, I just, I just can't really, you know, I, I, I'm so busy. You're getting choked. You're getting choked. Don't, don't really, you know, I, I never have any kind of money left over to contribute to ministries and to invest in that stuff. Someday I will. You know, I bet when I'm making 40000 a year, I'll have money to give to the ministry. You know what? You get to get 40000 and you have the same mindset. You get to have 55000 and you still think that you're on the verge of poverty. Still don't give. You can make 163000 And you know what? It feels really tight. Gosh, I never thought that it would be so expensive to maintain that third Jaguar, but I really need that third Jaguar, you know. I just never have anything left over to give to the ministry. You're getting choked! You're getting choked to death! 
Christians who find that they, they don't have a passion, you know, in their Christian walk anymore. It just isn't there. Their burden for the lost is gone. You're getting choked. You're, the, the joy in worship is gone. You're getting choked. The, the ministry that you used to really look forward to doing, and now it's nothing but a drudgery. You're getting choked. The things of the world are choking the seed. And that's why it means you're unfruitful. You're unfruitful. You don't bear any fruit. Why? Because you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. So many things can distract us Christians. But there's only one thing that is needful. We are in a culture, our war zone, this is a primary war zone thing, um, is that we live in a culture that just is really good at distracting us. Every commercial in its own way is saying, seek me first, seek me first. No, no, seek me first. Hey, over here, seek me first. You know, you really got to get this. You really need this, you know. Uh, and it will even promise to be simply a little added on to, but it's really saying, seek me first. And we've got to be very aware of this, very aware of this. Walk circumspect, be thinking about it, and evaluating our life. What is our life goal? Is it, in fact, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and to be content with whatever the Lord will add on to us? This, isn't, this is not a license to, uh, you know, spend your whole day in prayer and quit your job. It's not that. God calls us to, you know, be frugal and, and, and to, to be doing those natural things, but not to be seeking them first, you see. One thing in life, one thing alone, we are to seek first. And that's the person of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Lordship of Jesus Christ and what He will have us to do in this life. And everything else will come as a matter of course. My prayer is that God would help us to wake up to that. Uh, studying this book by Ron Sider is just causing me to reevaluate again. Okay, Greg. Greg, you know, have you let some, some of the little vines get in there and start choking stuff? You see? Jesus wants us to be holy and singularly devoted to Him. Let's stand. i, I got a song in my mind. I, I wonder if we could close with this prayer. Um... And I want to open up the altar when we're done, or actually when we're singing, if you want to come forward. Do, is the prayer team here tonight? I don't know if we even got that in place yet. But you know what? You can come and pray. By, oh, they are here. Can I come here? Thank you. Um, if you would like to come forward, even while we're singing, or after the service is dismissed, and would like to pray over some issue, it can be the issue that I talked about, or it can be a different issue, I encourage you to do that. But do you remember this golden ole uh, that we have, we've never sung here at Woodland Hills Church? Uh, but it's on the verse that I preached out of here uh, this morning or this evening. It's, uh, it goes like this. Sing with me, please. <laughs> but sing it as a reminder. Sing it as a prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Come forward if you want to. And His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every I pray that this word would not be too familiar to us. That it would just get lodged in some closet. Uh, God, it's such a central word. Lord, the truth is that we are rich. We are rich. Um, There are people here tonight that I know really are. 
on the brink of poverty. But most of us, Lord, are rich. By world standards, we are rich. By any standard that Jesus would have imagined in the first century, we are rich. And Lord, with that comes the warning. With that comes the responsibility. And we need to take an extra precaution, Father, to make sure that we're not getting choked by those riches. Lord, free us here tonight. Free us, Lord God, from the entanglement of the world. Free us, Lord God, from the deception of the enemy that tries to lure us into thinking that wants are necessities and added unto's are seek ye first. Father, free your people to be singularly and wholly focused upon you as the source of life, Lord God. For you and you alone are our life. You and you alone are our peace. You and you alone, Lord God, are our joy. You and you alone are the goal and aspiration of our life, Lord. May we pant after you like a deer panting for water and nothing else, Lord God. Free us, Lord God. Anyone here tonight who needs to be freed, I pray, Lord God, that you'd give them the the courage to come forward and just receive a little prayer uh, to get free from those things, Lord God.